If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bat mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a podcast which this week is a family affair. My name is Becca, and magic in cinema is like ventriloquism on the radio. My name is Josh, and I know dummy. My name is Andy. I'm Becca's dad, soon to be Josh's father-in-law. Big news in my life is I got new tires from my Mazda Miata this week. And also, I'd like to say that I'm going to try not to fart. Thanks, Dad. We really, we appreciate that. The listeners will appreciate that. And our listeners will also appreciate that. Although, if you do, we can edit around it. So, you know, don't don't hurt yourself. <laughs> don't strain yourself. Don't strain your stomach. Um, proud of you and your new tires. That's good. Yeah. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. So this week, we are talking about the ventriloquist a little bit, but we are also going to be diving into a Silver Age comic about Danny the Dummy, mm-hmm. who I believe is a one-time character. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's one off. But first, a little bit of news. Uh, so we want to start this week by uh, saying rest in peace to Dean Stockwell, who lent his voice to the adult Tim Drake in the memorable Batman Beyond Return of the Joker movie. Uh, Stockwell was a character actor best known for his role as Al Calavici on Quantum Leap, for which he earned a Golden Globe Award. Uh, And he also starred in the film adaptation of Long Day's Journey Into Night and played Dr. Yui in the David Lynch adaptation of Dune, which I watched recently. Oh. Yeah. You watched a lot of Quantum Leap, right, Josh? I did. Well, I I wouldn't say a lot, but I've seen probably like 10 episodes. Yeah. Did you know that was the same guy who played Tim Drake? I did not. I had no idea. There's a lot of stuff where like... uh, established live action actors have done voice work where I'll later like go through their IMDb or whatever and I'll be like, oh, interesting. Yeah, he did a little more voice work like kind of later in life. I watched a clip from Family Guy where he played his character from Quantum Leap. Oh, okay. A little one-off thing. Um, But yeah, he did quite a lot of stuff. Uh, He was an avowed environmentalist, uh, very much uh, loved the earth and did everything he could to some to support, you know, living green and promote living green to other people. Um, but he was 85 when he passed away earlier this week. My other piece of news is a graphic novel recommendation, which I like to do now and again. Now and again. Uh, we'll probably do another, you know, graphic novel roundup just in time for Christmas, a little uh, Christmas buying special. <laughs> but this week I just wanted to talk about an all-ages novel that's titled Batman and Robin and Howard. Uh, And it's out now. And this novel follows a grounded Damian Wayne who is forbidden from crime fighting as he attends school, makes friends, and attempts to live a normal life, all while navigating his relationship with his larger-than-life, slightly absent, and ultimately caring father. Something I can relate to. (laughs) No, he's not largely absent. (laughs) Um, The art style is... I've never been absent. No. That is, that is very present in my life. But he isn't Batman. But he's not Batman. But if you were, that would be really cool. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> the art 
The art style is very simple with muted watercolors and the story focuses more on relationships than any real big mysteries. Um, and except for one memorable gag, there's really no rogues to speak of in the comic at all. Um, artist and writer Jeffrey Brown told Batman News in an interview, quote, I had thought about picking one of the major rogues to be the main villain of the story, but it's really easy for the villains to take over the story, even if they don't come out on top in the end. In a way, both Robin and Batman's greatest enemies in this story are themselves, I mm. guess. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's a story about familial conflict. Mm-hmm. And really the only other members of the Bat family that are in it are Alfred. Really? It's a very, okay. very small, inclusive story all about Damien having a nice, normal life, which I love for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. You get raised by a group of assassins. It's, it's kind of hard to integrate yourself into regular society. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so Batman and Robin and Howard is out now. Uh, it's a really cute, age-appropriate holiday gift for a kid who might want to start reading comics. Now, I've seen the cover of it. It looks like the cover is drawn in crayon. Does the entire comic follow that? Yeah, it's oh, a okay. really simple art style. Interesting. It like, kind of reminds me of Captain Underpants, but like Captain Underpants is even a little bit more like refined than that. Yeah, yeah. It's like very sort of like not really defined lines and that kind of thing. <laughs> it's an interesting art style. All right. That is all I had for news. Let's jump right into this week's comic, which is actually a comic that we covered on our Batman versus the Rainbow Creature episode. Yeah. So if you still have that comic from weeks ago, just flip to the back. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's buying these. <laughs> if you can find it on DC's uh, DC Ultimate or whatever they have the, the, the comics there. Cover date was September 1960. The writer was Bill Finger. Penciler was Sheldon Moldov. The inker was Charles Paris, and letterer was Stan Starkman. So our usual cast. Mm -hmm. So the cover has Batman and Robin staring down the barrel of an enormous rocket while the tiniest penguin operates the controls in the corner. I really honestly felt like this character just looked like the penguin, but shrunk down. Yeah, a little, little version of the penguin. Little top hat, little little suits. I, lo I really love it. He doesn't have a monocle like Penguin does. He does have a monocle. I thought he just had, like, circles around his eyes that made him more dummy-like. Okay, I was wrong. He just has sort of glassy-looking eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so uh, I also really like the uh, details on this cover. We see a little drawing of the rocket on the table, and later we learn that uh, the, the little man dressed as the penguin uh, modified this rocket. So I like the idea that he kind of sat down at the little table and had to, like, diagram it out. <laughs> to do his do his misdeeds. Uh, so we open with what might be the best idea that I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. A ventriloquy act where it is revealed at the end that the little person sitting on the lap, whose name is Danny, was the ventriloquist, and the dummy, Matt, was a full-sized mannequin that he was manipulating. Yeah. In the words of Lady Gaga, talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing, show-stopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely never, ever even been done before. <laughs> It blew my mind when I first saw it. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you would see at some sort of tourist trap. Like, you would go to somewhere and they'd be like, come see Danny the Dummy. And then Danny the Dummy would turn out to be the real man operating a big dummy. Yeah. It was very interesting. Um, my only note is that the names could have been a little more original. Uh, Danny and Matt kind of sound like a frat house duo. <laughs> I wasn't really into it. Uh, so later, as Danny is leaving the show, instead of being set upon by legions of fans, which is what I would assume, uh, the audience members remark that, there goes Danny the dummy. This factual inaccuracy is apparently something that Danny deals with after every show. 
which I would note he might have been able to turn around if he'd given himself a more unique name <laughs> or maybe something that doesn't start with a D. Uh, but, you know, brand recognition, maybe that's the cause of it. Maybe he was in too deep and couldn't change his name. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so the dummy taunts really wear on Danny until his mind seemingly snaps <laughs> and he decides that this is as good a reason as any to turn to crime. Um, I don't know how that's going to be a more stable source of income than his brilliant ventriloquy act, which is one of a kind and extremely unique. <laughs> but hey, we've heard worse reasons to turn to crime. He is. He's a traveling, he's like a traveling showman. So mm-hmm. there's no way that he's not making plenty of money no, doing what he's regularly doing. The next day, Gothamites are astonished to find a man on a street corner taking a bath. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would you do this? So, uh. He gleefully reveals that he's doing this because of a, a TV host called him and told him he'd pay him $1,000 to do it. Um, and this is perhaps the most trusting man in all of Gotham. I was literally going to say the exact same thing, that he is super trusting to take just a phone call that he got to its word. Like, and I don't even know, I guess Danny must sound a lot like this TV show host because he says that it's like an established television show that normally records people who do weird stuff. Yeah. Well, this man doesn't even ask where the TV cameras are. He's just like, I guess I'll go take a bath on the street. I think he's waiting for the the television crew to show up. Yeah. He's got to set the shot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, would you do this for $1,000? I would probably do it for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I I would do it on a dare. Um, I would have done it... uh, just because it's funny. Yeah. If I could get laughs from enough passerby, I, I'm in. I mean, the passersby were like, sir, do you need help? Are you crazy? I mean, it's Gotham City. He can't be the weirdest person on the street corner. Would you do it for $1,000, Joshua? Take a bath on a street corner? Yeah. Yeah, I'd take a bath on a street I would. I would make sure that I had, like, a check in hand first yeah. before I did it or something. But I wouldn't, you know, a thousand bucks is a lot. It's especially a lot more in, in 1960. Well, it didn't say whether the man was uh, naked in the bathtub. That's as true. People are traditionally, traditionally aren't in a bathtub, but I would insist that I would be. Okay. You would insist <laughs> for the dare. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, like, is it bubbles? Is it no bubbles? I think there are bubbles. If you look at the panel pretty closely, I think there are bubbles. Although, he could also be wearing a swimsuit underneath. It's possible. I mean, that's nothing. That's like going to a public pool. Exactly, exactly. Well, but the fact that it's on a street corner in, like, one of those old-timey uh, wash tubs is is the weird part. I suppose. Bubbles would give me a rash. I, yeah. I would have to dispense with the bubbles. Okay. So, so in short, you'd be fine just publicly exposing yourself to a street corner on a dare. And that's, I, why, that's why Batman and Robin show up. Yeah. <laughs> if I thought they would get enough laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Batman and Robin actually don't show up to this. We never know what happens to this man at all. This is all just a a diversion. Yeah, well, a diversion that Danny has set up. Yes. Um, Of course, this is all a ploy to keep everyone distracted while Danny and co. rob a nearby express office. Mm -hmm. Did we ever figure out what an express office is? Yeah, it's like a, I think it's a mail office. Like, they they deliver packages. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, here comes the express, you know, like. Like the Pony Express? Yeah. So it's a mail room. It's a mail room. What are they robbing? Just like packages that would arrive? Uh, or, or the money that they have there. You gotta pay to get stuff sent. Oh, I guess so. I don't know. They'll rob anything. Yeah. Just say they got the gate receipts. Exactly. All right. In, in 1960, there weren't any credit cards. So yeah. that it would have had all cash. Yes, absolutely. Or checks. Yeah, checks. Sometimes a gigantic check for $1,000. Well, that, that's true. That's <laughs> that would have been written by the mayor or yeah. something. Yes. Exactly. 
Exactly. You couldn't do anything with it. How fortuitous that Batman and Robin happen upon this. I know. Well, uh, in through the window swing Batman and Robin to thwart their evil deeds. Uh, The groups engage in a very decisive and very short fist fight, and all seems lost for Danny, until he throws a stick of dynamite at our heroes and makes his escape. After taking cover for several minutes, Batman makes the disappointing discovery that the dynamite itself is a hollow dummy, which also in turn makes Batman and Robin dummies. Yeah. Yeah. They should have (laughs) known. Later in his hideout, Danny kicks his dummy mat, which, rude. Yeah. I also like that he kicks his, this dummy and his henchmen like lean in to whisper to each other and they're like, this guy is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, they whisper to each other that they wouldn't stick with Danny if he wasn't paying them, which should be true for any job. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, as soon as the paychecks stop coming, you're out of there. Exactly. Don't risk your life or your freedom for someone without pay. Don't do any job. Don't do any job without pay, honestly. It's not clear where he actually got these henchmen. No. Do you put an ad on Craigslist? I mean, how do you... Gotham is pretty famous for having, like, criminal hangouts. Mm-hmm. There's basically just bars where where potential henchmen hang out and wait to get picked up by guys who want to be the next big thing in Gotham. Yeah, they play pool, and if you try coming in there and being like, I got a big job, but you don't have anything to back it up, they're usually like, get out of here. You don't know. Yeah. Um, wasn't there something, uh, the episode with the eraser, isn't there sort of like an underground newspaper? Yeah, it's can, true. Like, yeah. You can put out an ad that's like, it is, oh, it is, looking it is. for henchmen, please come help me. Yeah, the criminals have their own special like newsletter that they send out. Yeah. What was the thing with the eraser that he's like, you got to give me 10% of the cut? Yeah, 10% of the cut of the crime that I'll help you. Oh, like plus tax. Get rid of. Oh, that's right. It was plus tax. I think it's called the uh, the New York Doing Time. New York Doing Time? Yes. That's very good, Dad. I like that. (laughs) Great. The next caper must have taken a lot of discipline to prepare for. We see a display getting unpackaged at the Gotham department store. Three mannequins and a fishing basket. However, the Night Watchman is startled to find these mannequins are really men-akins who spring to life and attack the guard while Danny leaps out of the basket and directs them to start stealing fur coats. Can you say what the mannequins are dressed up as? They're dressed as like fishermen and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like a whole fishing display. (laughs) It's Um, like for sports equipment, right? I guess so. Fishing sports equipment. Fishing poles and such. But like think about how long they needed to stay still for and how long Danny had to keep himself in that basket with his top hat and like suit and everything on. Yeah, yeah. That's some dedication for some ugly fur coats. Although I have to think that the guards were not too intelligent if they could be fooled by people pretending they're mannequins. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> in my childhood, the mannequins did not look particularly realistic. No. Not not at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the guards weren't very bright, which is probably why they're guards. I mean, that's something that we see a lot in Gotham City is the... The bumbling security guards, police officers, pretty much everybody except Batman and Robin is completely incompetent. Ah. <laughs> That's pretty much a good rule of thumb right. for, for Gotham in the 60s. Right. You know, Commissioner Gordon maybe a little bit right. smarter than your average duck. In, in, the, in the 60s television series, he's also pretty equally stupid. Yeah. He's, he's a, a step above O'Hara, who's like really dumb for a cop. Yeah. But, like, in the 90s when they switch out O'Hara for, like, Bullock. And he's like, still, yeah, he's still not that 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 smart. No, yeah. There's a big discrepancy between uh, 
Gordon and Bullock, I would say. The like people who are supposedly smart enough to be detectives for the GCPD and like <laughs> the head of it. Yeah. So the Night Watchman presses the silent alarm just before passing out, which alerts Batman and Robin to arrive just in time. They chase the goons into a toy section where Robin knocks out one on a giant display of a microscope. This is a huge toy section with giant props. Like the the toy stores that are in like Home Alone 2 or the movie The Toy or the movie Big, where they just have insanely large displays. If I may interject, there was actually a real toy store that was just like that, and it was called FAO Schwartz. Well, that's where they, and they I filmed believe, it in Big, right? Yeah, yeah, Big was filmed there, and I believe the big one in New York closed sometime, like something like 25 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Did they have a giant microscope? Uh, <laughs> quite likely they had giant a lot of things, mm-hmm. and it was just a vast store. It was like, uh, you know... It was like the size of a mega department store. Mm-hmm. They still have, or they—I know they had like a big uh, Toys R Us that had like a Ferris wheel and stuff in it yeah. a while ago. They, well, that closed. They that had, was the Toys R Us it, in Times Square. Yeah, that I closed. That. that closed in like the mid two thousands or something, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, back to the story. Soon, Danny has the dynamic duo cornered once again with a rocket pointed right at them. But Batman is smart. He tells Danny that he won't fall for another dummy trick. But Danny was prepared and said he rigged the dummy rocket with an engine so it would spell their doom. And the rocket heads right for the duo who leap out of the way just in time. In all the chaos, Danny and most of his gang get away, leaving only the one Robin knocked out on the microscope. How come these bad guys never use an actual gun? (laughs) Well, they do later in the comic. Um, The big reason I would have to say is because you couldn't really show gun violence in the 1960s. Isn't that right, Josh? Yeah, it was like part of the the comics code was uh, to make sure that things were toned down. And this was only, 1960 was only six years after the comics code, or actually, no, 56. So it was four years after the comics code was instituted. Yeah. So they really had to tone down the amount of violence. And so like a lot of times guys in these comics will carry guns sometimes they'll fire them they never hit anybody when they do fire them yeah typically and this was all going on when what, what was happening in the real world is in every neighborhood you know uh 18 19 year olds were being sent off to die in vietnam mm-hmm. we had uh, riots in the cities with a great deal of violence um the national guard was shooting college students for demonstrating yeah so Despite all that, you couldn't have a gun in a comic. No. Well, you know, it, Batman and Robin, uh, so maybe being gay was going to ruin the, the youths. It was going to uh, poison their morals. Exactly. That's why they had to institute the comics code. Yeah. Well, as we've heard older people say, people older than me even, there were no gays back then. <laughs> Just confirmed which, bachelors. Which, of course, is bullcrap. Factually inaccurate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's interesting. We'll actually talk about censorship a little bit later on in the episode, but it's really interesting to think about the censorship in comics contrasted with everything that people were seeing on the news and that was happening day to day. But as long as you could, you know, keep something pure for the children, it was thought that it was better to not, you know, tell them about the horrors going on around them. It's it was the moral outrage of the time. The same, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing with rap music. Same thing with video games. Same thing with uh, 
I mean, any number of things, rock and roll, like everything. It was like, well, this is supposedly for kids, but, you know, the government's going to have to come in and regulate it if you guys don't, you know, clean up your act. Yeah. Well, that was the older, uncool generation. In other words, our parents. Oh, no, no it's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> Moral <laughs> outrage has not died. Moral outrage has no age. And someday Josh and my generation will carry on that tradition. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those, these kids and their AI robots, why don't they just go out and have a real girlfriend? <laughs> That'll be us. I have a question. So this is 1964, right? Mm-hmm. So, Dad, you would have been eight years old. 1960, I thought. This is 1960? This is 60, yeah. This is 1960. Okay, so, well, you would have been three. Yes. Um, well, I'm curious, you know, because obviously you would have been aware of, like, the uh, the unrest in the streets later on in the 60s. Certainly. You know. But, you know, you would have consumed mostly, you know, this kind of, you know, comics code, uh, censored comic books and, you know, movies that were only for kids your age. Did that, like, in any way protect you from the horrors that were going on right outside your door? No, because you could turn on Walter Cronkite or Huntley and Brinkley on television every evening and see what was going on around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried to be uh, a well-informed young person, and I did read the newspaper every day. At and, the age of three. Uh, well, not, <laughs> not at the age of three, but, but say by the age of six or seven. Yeah. And, and you know, reading, reading my parents uh, got Newsweek in the home every week, and uh, we had our giant set of Encyclopedia Britannica, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I felt pretty informed that way, and tried not to be swayed by the bull crap that, uh, you know, some of the media uh, aimed at children was trying to show me. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, Westerns showing, like, you know, cowboys and Indians and cops and robbers. Well, well, by my age, Westerns were really uh, completely uncool. Okay. But Batman was really cool. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, you stayed informed. I guess that would be... You know, the advice that we would give to anybody of any generation is try to stay informed and don't don't listen to just what's at the media that's aimed straight for you. Anyway, thank you. We'll get back to the comic then. Uh, when the one gang member who was knocked out comes to, Batman and Robin see him locked away pending trial without his belongings. However, as is always justice in Gotham City, just hours later, someone pays his bail and the perp walks free with his possessions. He thinks how nice it is that Danny paid his bail, but we soon find it was all a ruse. The sonic transmitter that Batman put in his fountain pen led the dynamic duo right to Danny's hideout. I do want to point out that he thinks that he might be being followed, and he's like, there's no way I'll let them uh, get to uh, Danny's hideout, so I'll take like a bunch of different trains and taxis to try and throw them off my course. That's expensive. It, it is expensive, and also, my favorite part about it is he hasn't changed from the night before, so he's still dressed up like a fisherman Yeah. while he does this. No one will spot me, a fisherman, walking through Hudson City. <laughs> I, I also feel a need to add that I don't think that technology existed at that time. It Sonic did. transmitters? No, uh, well, I don't know the, that it ever existed, but certainly some kind of a tracker that would fit in a fountain pen. I I. I would seriously doubt. Well, maybe the CIA. Had I was going to say the CIA but, during the. They, but they but had Batman stuff like was that just a local War. crime fighter, and I don't <laughs> think he had access to the uh, CIA goodies. He is deputized. Yeah, he's a deputized member of, of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just locally, you know, in Gotham City. 
he's not doesn't work for the federal government, so I, I don't think he got that CIA spy crap. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Lucius, you know, homebrewed it. <laughs> Well, Lucius wasn't introduced here yet. Oh, he wasn't. Yeah, was I mean, we're talking stuff? about we're talking about the Silver Age of comics. People have like cloning machines, stuff that like slows time down and stuff like that. Like True. the the science fiction of this of like the DC universe was much further along technologically in the nineteen sixties than the real world was. Yeah. A machine that could give you the abilities of any animal you point at it. Except sometimes <laughs> oh. it'll reverse and give the gorilla your intelligence. Can I buy that on Amazon? Yeah, you should be able to. Nice. <laughs> Great. Uh, so another fight ensues as our heroes confront the gangsters in the Western-themed television set they've been hiding out in. A dummy town, if you will. I, I really love the idea that these guys are hanging out here and the, the film crew walks in and some PA is like, Guys, we gotta film a television show. You can't be here. <laughs> well, as my dad pointed out, by this point, westerns were totally uncool. <laughs> so, so, oh, you think it's a perfect place to hide out? It's a derelict western set. Yeah, exactly. Not, the, the show got canceled. <laughs> yeah, I, I could make a I, I could make a topical joke, but I won't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Dynamic duo punch their way through the goons, but Danny is getting away in a covered wagon. This poor henchman gets beat up twice in a 24-hour period I by know. Batman and Robin. So sad. Do henchmen get workers' comp by me? Um, I mean, they say that they wouldn't be with him if they didn't get paid. I don't know if they get bennies, because technically that's through, like, the government. So I don't think there's an OSHA for criminals by this point. There's no... I don't think that he's paying for their health care. No. Like, there's not. no way he's got an insurance plan. No. Batman and Robin chase him down a hill in a cart, but it all goes sideways for Danny as he crashes into a wall, goes flying through the air, and lands squarely on the lap of a Batman statue. Now who's the dummy? <laughs> Silver Age Batman has so many statues erected in his likeness. He does. There's, like, way too many. It's pretty weird, honestly. Dad, do you, uh, do you know if you could think of a moral of the story for this Batman comic? Well, I... I would say that it's kind of a parable okay. that was appropriate then and perhaps even more so now. Um, because we're living in a country, well, I know about the country, but probably in the world that's full of dummies, <laughs> manipulated <laughs> by the news media dummies, okay. who are in turn manipulated by politicians. So that's... I think the moral of this story uh, <clears throat> then and now. Don't be a dummy. Behind don't, every don't Joe be Biden, there's a small man dressed like the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, Danny the Dummy, I believe, was a one-off villain. Did we look that up? Yeah, he's a one-off villain. He okay. didn't appear in anything else. So instead, this week for Rogue Roundup, we are talking about perhaps my favorite Batman rogue of all time. A more famous dummy. The ventriloquist. And Scarface. Yes. So, yeah, <clears throat> I did Rogue Roundup, and uh, ventriloquist is a title that has been held by three different Batman rogues, two of which use the puppet named Scarface uh, to commit crime. The first ventriloquist was named Arnold Wesker. He debuted in Detective Comics number 583 in 1988. He was created by writers John Wagner, uh, Alan Grant, and artist Norm Brayfogle. Wesker is a timid man with dissociative identity disorder who finds solace in ventriloquism. 
He's uh, sort of a, a portly man with, uh, <laughs> he's balding. He's got some white hair on the sides of his face. He wears round spectacles. You know, he looks the part of, of a tinted man, whereas his dummy, Scarface, is a uh, typical, like, 1920s gangster with a pinstripe suit, a fedora hat, and, like, a Tommy gun. I just love him. <laughs> and, of course, a scar across his face. Mm-hmm. Hence the name. Uh, Arnold Wesker's initial origin was that he grew up in a crime family and saw his mother murdered, which spurns him on to retreat into his mind and develop his split personality. But this gets retconned in the 1990s in the Showcase 94 comic and the Shadow of the Bat comics, where his new origin is that his parents were killed by, no joke, an oncoming truck filled with department store display dummies. Oh my god. And and three real guys and also a little person (laughs) dressed as fisherman. Seems a bit contrived. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so... What era was that? What? What era was that? It was was 97, I think, was when that backstory was written. Okay. That was back when, like, everything needed to be really dark and also just, like, full of meaning. Yeah. That's around the same time where they were, like, actually Batman and... Batman's parents were killed by the Joker. Yeah. Because they were always meant to create each other. Uh, so in this retcon, he gets sent to jail for accidentally killing a man during a barroom brawl. Um, he it, It's basically explained that like after his parents died, he sort of bottled up his emotions and it came to a head during this barroom brawl. He claims a man walked into his knife, but then later on, like when he's talking to a psychiatrist, he admits his he lost his temper. He used the uh, the cell block tango defense. He, he <laughs> yeah. ran into my knife. He ran into my knife ten times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. His cellmate is a murderer named Donegan, who has carved a dummy who would later become Scarface. Uh, out of wood that it was made from the old gallows at Blackgate Prison. Ooh. So this is where it is begin to be implied that the dummy Scarface is like haunted or cursed because so many men died being hung from that tree. Uh, and often like whoever is holding the Scarface dummy feels it like the, the dummy is talking to them or talking, speaking for itself. Arnold hears the dummy speaking to him and instructs him to kill his cellmate and escape through the tunnel that the cellmate had been working on. During the struggle against his cellmate when he's trying to kill him, uh, the cellmate, like, scars the dummy's face, which then leads on to the name Scarface for the dummy. Hmm. Uh, Scarface is also an allusion to Al Capone's nickname for, like, as a gangster. Hmm. Al Capone was also known as Scarface. I gotcha. Uh, it's, I guess it's worth noting when Scarface talks, he replaces every B with G because when you are a ventriloquist, it is difficult or impossible to make the B sound without closing your mouth, like moving your mouth. So, uh, so anytime he talks, he, he talks about Gatman and stuff like that. The ventriloquist and Scarface would go on to set up a drug trade and become crime lords. Eventually, he gets apprehended by Batman and is then is released from prison, quote-unquote, on a technicality, which is never explained what the technicality is. They just sort of, like, gloss over it, and they're yeah. like, I had a good lawyer. Chain, chain of command got messed up, you know? <laughs> it happens. I want to mention, uh, I read this somewhere. I don't know if it's in your notes, but um, they sort of explain away at some point the reason that he has a speech impediment is because his lips were burned off during, like, a prison riot. <laughs> 
<laughs> and not that he's a dummy <laughs> being controlled by somebody. I want to say right here on the podcast, my official stance on Scarface is that he is a real haunted doll who has been manipulating a good man named Arnold Wesker for many, many years. That is my official stance. I'm going to refute that. Scarface and the ventriloquist, and that's just what it's going to have to be. Because Arnold Wesker has some other very deep mental scars going on that we need to talk about. Fine. Uh, Scarface gets destroyed after this uh, in an ensuing gang war with another street gang that tried to take over his drug trade. And then Wesker believes that he's been cured, but it isn't very long until his mania uh, overcomes him again and he rebuilds Scarface. Uh, this is also, I should point out, happened many times throughout media where, like, the dummy gets destroyed and Arnold thinks that he's cured, but then he either, like, feels the need to recreate Scarface or some sort of thing. So he always ends up with a Scarface dummy in the end. I think there's an episode, either it's either an episode of the animated series or it might be they did it in, like, the new Batman Adventures where the Joker, like, gives him the Scarface doll to sort of, like, bring him back into lapsing into his mania. Mm. Um, so during the Nightfall storyline, Bane frees all the inmates, uh, patients from Arkham Asylum? Yeah, it's patients. Okay. Uh, without Scarface with him, Wesker develops a new personality with an old sock that he names Socko. Okay. <laughs> uh, Wesker then sets out to break into the police evidence room to get Scarface back for himself, which he ends up accomplishing. The two puppets begin fighting with one another and shoot each other, leaving Arnold unconscious and bleeding from both hands because okay. he shot himself in the hands because the puppets were arguing. Okay. After this, uh, you know, he, he recovers. He goes to, he's part of the No Man's Land storyline. He has his own, like, section of No Man's Land. Batman overthrows him, claims territory for himself. And then... Later on in continuity, he's ultimately killed shortly after the Infinite Crisis event uh, by an assassin who is attempting to frame Harvey Dent for the murder, uh, and Harvey Dent had recently reformed. So he's, like, in an apartment building and gets killed by this assassin, which is important, so hold that in your mind. Okay. Okay? A couple of other times that he's shown up, so during Blackest Night, Wesker gets resurrected by the Black Lantern Necron. Okay. And Wesker, the, the reanimated Wesker, uses his Black Lantern ring to create uh, constructs, like Black Lantern constructs of Scarface. So he has an army of, of, of Black Lantern construct puppets behind him. <laughs> Uh, he also returns briefly in the New 52 as one of the criminals that's on Joker's side during the War of Jokes and Riddles. So this is like the big reset was New 52. So he's not dead anymore. And he helps Batman capture. And uh, he is on Joker's side, but eventually they get overthrown because Batman is on Riddler's side. And that's that whole thing. There's also a storyline in New 52 where Batman creates his own suicide squad basically to help him defeat a, a psychic or, or sorry, uh, like a mind controlling villain. And the fact that Arnold Wesker has this split personality is what shields him from the mind control. And that's why Batman sends him. <laughs> it's absolutely wild. All right. So that's, that's Arnold Wesker. That's like all the times that he's appeared in comics and, and sort of his big arcs and stuff. Can I talk about um, Arnold Wesker in other media? Sure. He's, the, he's really the only ventriloquist that's ever really That's portrayed. been, like, adapted, yeah. Yeah, except, well, okay, we'll talk about Gotham. 
So, uh, in animation, Arnold Wesker and Scarface first appear in the memorable Batman the Animated Series episode, Read My Lips, which also happens to be one of my top ten Batman the Animated Series episodes. Uh, similar to the comic, this version of Wesker is a mild-mannered henchman who is dominated by a split personality that manifests as Scarface the dummy. Batman uses his endless stagecraft talents in this episode to mimic both Scarface and Wesker's voices and turn them against each other. <laughs> Uh, and Bruce Tim says on the DVD commentary for this episode that the writers used the fact that Scarface wasn't technically a living creature to skirt the Fox Kids censors and vent their, quote, darker impulses. <laughs> for example, throughout the series, Scarface is burned to death, decapitated, and ground into sawdust by a fan. Yeah. So I know we were talking a little bit about censorship earlier in the 60s in the comic, but, mm-hmm. I mean, censorship has been a thing in kids' media forever. I think it's really interesting that... You know, in the 90s, they were like, well, we want to do really violent stuff. So let's just do it to this dummy and they can't yeah, get mad at us because it's not a real person. And, and the writers for the animated series, the DC animated universe, would get around that a lot by using like robots for stuff mm-hmm. and uh, like aliens. They would basically sort of get around it by being like, well, it's not humans. So yeah. it's like we, it, can, we can decapitate robots, slice them in half and stuff, you know? Pretty much every person they fight in uh, Teen Titans was like a robot or like some sort of alien monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so later in the new Batman Adventures, we get to see a rehabilitated Wesker who gets a job at Wayne Enterprises, so Batman can keep an eye on him. And this does lead to a confrontation where Scarface appears in Wesker's apartment and tries to take control of him again, which might have been what you were talking about. It wasn't the Joker. It was like his old uh, henchman buddies from before were like, come on, Wesker, like you should get back with Scarface. It'd be fun. Do crime with us again. He's like, no, I'm reformed. And so I think they're the ones who like, you know, leave Scarface in his apartment, which triggers him. Mm -hmm. Um, And this leads to a standoff where Wesker holds Batman at gunpoint. And while struggling with his sanity, Batman urges Wesker to take control. And Wesker finally turns and shoots Scarface, setting himself free. Uh, there's also an alternate universe episode of Justice League where Wesker appears uh, as one of many supervillains that Superman of the Justice Lords lobotomized to ensure oh, peace. yeah. It's very creepy. Um, a version of Wesker also appears in the animated show The Batman uh, and has... A story that I thought was kind of a little bit similar to the one that we just read with Danny the Dummy. Uh, This version of Wesker is a ventriloquist who is booed off stage and he decides to turn to a life of crime and his first caper is robbing every member of the audience that booed him. (laughs) Which, as a performer, I agree. So the Batman, that was the one that came after the animated series, right? That was like the early 2000s. -hmm. They changed a lot of villains' backstories. They actually went with like the classic backstory for Mr. Freeze where he's just like a regular diamond thief or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't get life light in a bottle again like they had with Heart of Ice, so yeah. probably probably smart. Um, a live-action version of Ventriloquist appeared in seasons four and five of Gotham. Originally, the character known as Arthur Penn is an accountant working for the Penguin. Um, after being shot and left for dead in the GCPD morgue, he awakens and wake- makes his way to an old magic shop where he finds Scarface the dummy and his split personality is triggered. Um, this version was played by actually real-life ventriloquist Andrew Sellen, who's fine. <laughs> He's, you know, uh, definitely, you can tell his lips are moving when you watch the show. But he's supposed to just be, like, a crazy guy, so it's okay. Very creepy-looking uh, puppet, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they, they really nailed the, like, look of him in that episode. Yeah. 
Um, Scarface can also be found as a visual cameo in Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. Uh, in Arkham Asylum, Joker can be seen playing with uh, the doll before p- tossing him away in disgust. He's also in the Arkham City uh, DLC. Mm-hmm. So in the Arkham City game, he's like, because Joker stole the Scarface doll, Harley has like taken care of it like it's a baby. Yeah. And it looks like she's preparing for to have like Joker's kid. Yeah. And then in the DLC, it's shown that like there's like a bunch of negative pregnancy tests like scattered around and yeah. she's like upset and yeah. stuff. So it's uh yeah, it's it's really interesting environmental storytelling. They never actually say it outright, but you can pick it up from like the the environmental yeah. Stuff that they, they leave scattered around. He's an easy prop to just sort of like put in someone's office. So people who are wandering around be like, oh, hey, look, Scarface. <laughs> anyway, that's all of the um, Arnold Wesker and other media. So if you want to tell us about the other ventriloquists. Yeah, sure. So the second ventriloquist name was Peyton Riley. She was created by uh, writer Paul Dini of the animated series. He was co-creator of animated series and artist Don Kramer. Peyton was the daughter of Sean Riley, a notorious Irish gangster. She grew up with a chip on her shoulder because no one respected her, seeing her as another mafia princess. When she was young, she fell in love with Thomas Elliot, named, uh, you know, as people might know as Hush, and uh, Thomas's mother disapproved of their relationship because of uh, Peyton's father's business dealings. Mm-hmm. After Thomas killed his parents, and uh, he left Gotham and left Peyton behind. Peyton also helped him, uh, like, kill his lawyer who was going to take away the family fortune from him. So she sort of orchestrated him being able to get his family's money (laughs) to be able to, to leave. Uh, Later, she would go on to marry a gangster from the Italian mob, which was a forced marriage by her father in an attempt to find peace between the Irish and the Italian mobs. The guy that she married would later end up working for Scarface and giving him like a cut of all the take that he had. Her husband, uh, it was like a loveless marriage, and her husband attempted to have her killed, and she was left for dead in the same apartment building that Arnold Wesker got killed in. Oh, no. So that's where that comes back in. So when Arnold Wesker was killed, she was also there. She drags herself to the room that he was killed in and finds uh, Scarface, who she believes is talking to her, and takes the dummy with her Mm. and then recovers from her wounds. Mm, I knew it all along. (laughs) So her and the dummy go on to uh, have a crime spree after she recovers. And Scarface maintains his personality that he had with Arnold Wesker with her. Mm, so he still has like an old timey. But the interesting thing to note is that she is able to have him pronounce his B's correctly. Oh, she's so, a better ventriloquist. She's a better ventriloquist than, than Arnold Wesker was. <laughs> All right. Or maybe the, he's just a magic doll. The relationship between her and the dummy is different from Arnold's because Arnold was sort of like Scarface's lackey, but He's like a boyfriend to her. Gross. He calls her sugar. Gross. <laughs> and uh, I think eventually, like at the end of that arc, he says that he loved her. <laughs> it's very strange. How old is she? This woman has a relationship with the dummy. <laughs> Gross. Uh, in her final appearance, she attempts to throw her ex-husband overboard uh, to drown him. 
And while Batman and Zatanna are fighting Scarface's henchmen, she succeeds by throwing him overboard, but she also falls overboard herself, presumably drowning with him as well, because we never see her ever again. And she hasn't shown up in, like, New 52, so that was the end of her. There is a third ventriloquist, but this one's connection to Arnold Wesker and Scarface is pretty tenuous, because... They don't use, it's it's a woman, she doesn't use Scarface, and the only thing that she really shares with them is, like, the name Ventriloquist. It's a, a, a character in the New 52 who was introduced in the Batgirl comics. Her name is Shauna Belzer, and this one is a metahuman. She has telekinetic powers, and she uses them to control a puppet who's named Ferdy after her twin brother that she killed. <laughs> yeah, she's like a serial killer, and she uses the puppet that she telekinetically, uh, like, possesses to help her commit the, the, the murders that she does. Creepy. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much all I know about her. She was, I guess, a small-time villain in the, in the Batgirl comics. Yeah. Well, bring back Arnold Wesker. <laughs> I like him. Yeah, he should appear in more stuff. Although, I don't know. We'll see. You know, DC's doing this whole, we don't know what actually is canon and what isn't. So maybe he will come back big time. Very possible. All right. Well, that was our episode all about ventriloquism and all about... Uh, the deadly dummy. <laughs> the deadly dummy. Danny the dummy. Um, great. Well, anybody else have anything they want to add or... Yeah, I, if I could simply add and circle back a little bit to the comic book that we were discussing initially, because sure. I don't know anything about the crap that Josh has just been talking about. Okay. But um, I, I found this story uh, a bit lame. Okay. <laughs> Not a whole lot to it. Um, what I really enjoyed were the ads mm-hmm. that, that were in the comic, uh, particularly the one where you could get 200 Civil War soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, the blue and the gray, as the ad put it, for $1.49. That's, a little, that's a, not bad. A bargain. A, <laughs> I, you know, I, I had these kind of crappy soldiers when I was a kid, although mine were World War II. Okay. Um, it was kind of uncool to have Confederate soldiers even then. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed the ads. I thought they were kind of more interesting than the comic. But the last thing I wanted to say is I wanted to give a shout out to the people of Cameroon. Yeah. <laughs> I un- I've been told by by Becca that this podcast is one of the most popular. No, we're eleventh in- most popular. Eleventh. Well, that's that's comedy. top comedy podcast. Okay. It's it's the eleventh most popular in a certain category. It's yeah. not even overall. Well, nevertheless, extremely impressive. Yeah. And thank you to the people of Cameroon. Supporting my kids and and also my favorite NBA player, Joel Embiid is from Cameroon. So uh, God bless you all for sending him to Philadelphia. Yes, trust the process. We do trust the process. <laughs> Thank you for that, Dad. Um, yeah, I, I always like to uh, note the little ads in there. Um, what would be the point of having all these army men? What would you do with them? Just like set them up and... Like, have them pretend like you're doing battles? I don't well, get it. Well, well, yes. In fact, that's what I used to do with my army men. Uh, I had a, a big uh, a tank, oh. a battery-powered tank wow. that I think one of my uh, grandparents had, uh, had bought for me for a birthday or something. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, mount some, some of the army men on the tank and send it forward into 
a tower I would construct from blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put other army men, the enemy army men on there. And, you know, we would send the tank into the tower and everybody died. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to taint your beloved childhood memories, but I hope you realize that this was them conditioning you to, you know, want to, when you turn 18, enlist in the army and go off and kill some real people. Well, war is fun and it's a I, game. As you know, I never thought that way. I never did it. I, I, I never went into the army. Nope. I, uh, in, in junior high, went to a war protest at the University of Pennsylvania protesting the Vietnam War. You did also have asthma and you were ineligible to be drafted. Yeah, my, my <laughs> hour just told me that I would never be able to be drafted, that I would be what they called a 4F yeah. because of my asthma history. Yes. So, uh, But but the, the Vietnam War ended the year I graduated from high school, so uh, no worries. Okay, well that's good. <laughs> I, you know what, I feel like even if you hadn't had asthma, you probably would have been a country Conscientious objector. Yeah, I would have ran off to Canada. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, that was our podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening, whether you are in Cameroon or elsewhere. You can find us on Twitter at Batmates, and you can also email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com. Leave a review on iTunes. If you leave us a five star review, we'll read it on the air. Yeah, we will. Um, great. So thank you so much for listening this week. Thank you, uh, Andy, Dad, for. For joining this week. We really appreciated having you here. Um, great. Anything else you want to say to the fans before we wrap thank, up? Thank you for allowing me to make my podcast debut. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this was the uh, initial recording of the podcast in my home, mm-hmm. Becca's parents' home here in Pennsylvania. We're a couple hours apart, but yes. it was delightful to have them visit and to help record this podcast. Lovely. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you have a good week. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.